Exodus chapter 10, we'll start reading at verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Rise and go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also, take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also in flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out. From the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Verse 51 So it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to understand your word. Help us to see your deliverance of your people and to trust you for our own circumstances and ultimately for our eternal destiny. Give us insight into the text. Help us to believe you, to trust you, and to commit our future to you tonight. Give me the strength to speak accurately of your work in the Exodus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage tells how God smote the firstborn and delivered his people. Exactly, of course, what Moses said. You teach your children about the Exodus when you sit down and have that Passover meal. You tell them God smote the Egyptians and spared our Homes. Well, that's exactly how the passage records it. So it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And we know from the next chapter, when it speaks specifically of the firstborn sons, that this is the firstborn sons who are in view here, not the firstborn daughters. God goes through the land as the angel of death, as the destroyer, And he carries out this threat. And there's no one spared. 
high or low, Pharaoh, greatest social position in Egypt, all the way down to the captive in the dungeon, lowest social position in Egypt. God does exactly what he says. This plague reminds us, again, that every human being is condemned to death. We all have our lives forfeit because of our sin. That's the word of God to us in this plague. And that's what God did. He smote the firstborn. We all have a hard time believing that we're actually going to die. It's interesting just to go around and ask people, have you made your will? Oh, I should really get on that. Yeah, you probably should, especially if you have any property or children or something. It's hard to believe. It's hard to admit, A, that the firstborn died, because if the firstborn died, what is God saying? He's saying, I'm going to die. Not only because I'm a firstborn, but because I'm a sinful human being. So that's the plague, but God delivers his people from this plague in a multitude of ways, and really most of the rest of the chapter describes that. The first is God's help with getting Israel out of Egypt. The plague did what none of the others could do. Plagues 1 through 9 hardened Pharaoh's heart. Plague 10 crushes Pharaoh's heart such that he calls Moses in the night. He rises in the night. Not the action of somebody who is stubborn anymore. Not the action of someone who can sit on his throne and pretend he doesn't care about frogs, flies, lice, hail, and darkness. He's beaten by the providence of God. And he calls Moses and says, go. He even utters the magic word, serve Yahweh as you have said. Before it was, you can worship, but don't you serve. Now he says, go, he says, serve, he says, take your flocks, take your herds, be gone. All the conditions I tried to put on in the negotiations in the previous nine plagues, I unilaterally withdraw. You may go, in fact, you must go, get out of here. God crushes Pharaoh's heart. And then Pharaoh enigmatically says this, and bless me also. In the course of his time, and he's gotten this degree now from the great school of the power of God, he's been enrolled for probably about a year. And he's gotten ten plagues. And this is his graduation ceremony, as it were. Pharaoh has learned that God has the power of blessing and cursing. And thus, he somehow still dares to ask, for a blessing. Be gone and bless me also. You can try to read that as sarcastic or maybe him saying, you getting out of here will be the biggest blessing Egypt has ever experienced. But it really seems to be that he actually wants a blessing. And it's so strange. The commentators are baffled by it. Readers are baffled by it. But I think it's pointing at a feature of the human heart with which we're all familiar. This desire, no matter what bad thing we've done, no matter how we know we should be in the doghouse with the Almighty, if we can put it that way, 
our prayers usually revolve around, God bless me, help me, do this good thing for me, bail me out, give me this, give me that. You listen to some people pray and they might as well be reading their Christmas list. And that's Pharaoh. He's had all this training in the power of God and what is his final word? Please give me another blessing, God. It's like, Pharaoh, you don't get it, do you? You you think that God just lives to pour blessings on people? You have the temerity to ask for a blessing? After everything we've just been through, where you have defied God and fought him tooth and nail on everything for decades, and suddenly it's, oh God, please give me another blessing. It's not how it works. Pharaoh could have had blessing. He could have taken his family and hidden under the blood of the Lamb. God had offered him the blessing of deliverance from the tenth plague. And Pharaoh utterly refused blessing on God's terms. He didn't want to walk in the way of blessing. And yet he still wanted the blessing. There's a lesson for us here, folks. How easy it is God says, you can have a close walk with me if you get up in the morning and read my word and pray. And we say, oh, I can't do that. I'm too tired. Boy, God, I sure wish you would give me a better spiritual life. Well, do we dare to ask for blessings that we aren't willing to work for? And I do this, right? I pray every day for my neighbors. How many times have I mentioned the word Jesus to one of my neighbors in three years? Not very many. Probably less than five. We like to be little pharaohs. God, you do it. Bless me. Give me this thing that I want. Don't ask me to do it on your terms. So Pharaoh's heart is crushed. He still dares to ask for this blessing. And the Egyptians urge the people, ordinary Egyptians, are coming to their Israelite neighbors and saying, would you mind going now? You've been here a while. Could you, you know, leave and get out of Egypt They're pushing them out because they're afraid. This Egyptian on the street is saying, this group doesn't fit here. In fact, this group is killing us. The Egyptians had learned that they were under a death sentence. And rather than going to God and saying, God, how can we have this death sentence lifted? I thought that was mine. Going to God and saying, how can we have this death sentence lifted? They say, let's shove away the people who remind us that we're under sentence of death. It's not, whoa, how can we get a Passover sacrifice? How can we get right with God? It's, let's send God's people away from us. You know, this is the root of persecution. It's hard to attack God. It's much easier to attack his people. His people remind me 
that I'm guilty and therefore I seek to push them away. Don't inflict any religion on me. That's what the Egyptians do. We're afraid of death. We'll all be dead. Egypt is the land of death. Egypt is the land of tombs. It's most famous for what? Big tombs, the pyramids. And yet, rather than dealing with the reality of death, they're trying to ask the Israelites about how to find life. They just say, go. Leave. We don't want any life that you might have to offer. And these Egyptians then even financed the trip. Verses 35 and 36, the children of Israel say, hey, that's a really nice ring you're wearing. Could I have that? And the Egyptians say, sure. And this is not a small-scale phenomenon. This happens all over Egypt. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Now, some commentators have read this passage and said, wait a second. Verses 33 and 36 can't both be true. Either the people say, leave, you're killing us, or they say, here's all my silver and gold. But they're not going to say that in the same conversation. Well, maybe they didn't say it in the same conversation. But Moses is telling us that both these things happened in the Exodus process. And of course, the people of Israel who piled up wealth for Egypt take that wealth, and in the second half of this book, they use that wealth to build a tabernacle in which to meet God. God brings Israel out of Egypt and God finances the trip. He provides. He also provides this delicious food that would be associated with Passover forever after, the matzah bread of verses 34 and 39. They took the dough. They didn't have time to leaven it. As we talked about, they didn't want it spilling all over everywhere, and so they made the flat bread, the matzah that's famous to this day. God finances his people. God feeds his people. And God counts his people. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, 600,000 men on foot. So as we talk about this, where do we locate this in history? Well, the typical, the traditional date for the Exodus is 1446 B.C. You think in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue? Well, you subtract about 50 years off that, and that is the date of the Exodus, 1446 B.C. How do they get that? Well, in 1 Kings, it says that Solomon reigned and that he started, he dedicated the temple 430 years after they came out of Egypt. And Solomon's reign dates, uh, temple dedication dates to 966 B.C. 480 years. So you just add 966, 480, you get 1446. So what was happening in Egypt in 1446? Well, this, the children of Israel leaving. And it's a huge group. 600,000 on foot, that's the men. So that would be another 600,000 adult women, plus the children. Most people guess around 2 million, maybe 3 million. The archaeologists have dug around in the desert some and said there's no evidence that a group that size ever left Egypt. To which we say, well, were you there? Moses was there. He wrote it down. And as Calvin added, the people who were with Moses, who read the first edition of Exodus, were the most grumpy, complaining people the world has ever seen. 
And if Moses wrote it wrong, they would have had something to say about it. So God leads his people, God numbers his people, two million or so, whom he provides for it through the desert, whom he enlists to build the tabernacle, and we'll see this group wander through the desert and then come and settle in the land in the book of Joshua. But with them goes this other group, a mixed multitude went up with them, verse 38. The Hebrew word sounds exactly like our English word riffraff. Well, it's not the same sounds, but it's the same sound twice in a row. The mixed multitude. Who is this? Well, disgruntled Egyptians, uh, other ethnic groups living in Egypt who didn't fit in. We don't know. But probably some kind of non-Israelite group travels along with them. Their way of life was such that others saw it and said, we want that. Give me a piece of this. And then finally, they went out with their livestock. The very thing that Pharaoh had tried to say, you can't have. All their wealth, their capital, tied up in animals, comes with them out of Egypt. And it happened at God's time. The sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. So Abraham, 1900 or so B.C., Isaac, Jacob, Jacob ends up going down to Egypt with his family, and the family lives there 430 years. That's a long time. The English landed at Plymouth less than 430 years ago. In fact, they landed at Jamestown less than 430 years ago. The entire history of our country, of our people coming and settling here in North America, is less than the time that Israel spent as slaves in Egypt. That gives us an idea of something of the scale of what we're talking about here in the Bible. How much time is covered. We might think that Richard Nixon happened a while ago. The Bible says the history of our people, of the people of God, goes back way beyond the birth of Billy Graham or the Reformation or even the time of Jesus himself all the way back to 1446 B.C. and the Exodus after they had been in Egypt 430 years. And Moses emphasizes over and over, it was on this day, the day of Passover. On that very same day, it is a night of solemn observance. This is that night. And then again, verse 51, on that very same day, he repeats it over and over and over to emphasize God brought them out at one time. On this specific day, the day when he killed the firstborn and brought his people out. So he can deliver from Egypt. In fact, he did deliver from Egypt. What does that mean? Well, that he can deliver us from anything we're facing, obviously. Problems at home, problems at work, problems at school, problems with the government, problems with children. God knows them all and he can deliver from anything. But the biggest problem of all the one that this is about is the problem of deliverance from the anger of God. 
the message of Passover is that God didn't kill you. Somebody else died in your place instead so that you could be rescued from bondage to sin and brought into the promised land. That's the message of Passover. God delivers from our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you brought your people out. On this very day, after the events of this very night, you rescued and delivered them from your own wrath for the sake of your Son who was to come, for the sake of the true Passover Lamb. Lord, we ask that you would help us to truly internalize this gospel message that we're alive today because the Passover lamb died in our place. Don't let us forget this truth. Don't let us think that we're alive today because we're such good people who deserve to live. Because naturally, God would want to bless sinners like us. Father, help us to see that the way of blessing is not to sin and sin and sin and then say, please bless me but rather to go and hide under the blood of the Lamb and there have our sins forgiven. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.